Be still and listen to this message of God, Genesis 2, 4 through 8. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in this day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Listen to the message of Jesus, the Son of God, John 20, 21 through 23. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. How cool is it to um, have your mom read the scripture reading before you get to preach? I think it's awesome. Thank you, mom, so much. And um, what a wonderful worship service we've had this morning. Tom, you did such a great job. Yes, can we give Tom? You sounded so good. You have a future in ministry. You really do. You really do. And with a brother-in-law like that setting you up before you get to preach, yeah, I'll remember that for next time. No, I'm just kidding. It was amazing. Excellent. Um, I want to, before I begin, I, I really do want to take a second to pause and think about the, and reflect on for just a second, the... Um, horrible, indescribable, painful uh, video that was released on Friday of the killing of Tyree Nichols. You know, we have a policing problem in this country. Now, there are people in this church who are police officers who I love deeply. I'm a minister, and the church as an institution has problems white nationalism, health and wealth, child abuse. The institution of the church has problems. And working inside a church, I am responsible for pushing back against those institutional problems. And I'm speaking about an institution policing that I stand outside of, but I can accurately say has deep deep problems. We can no longer live in a society and a culture where officers are, are trained as though the people they are supposed to police are their enemy combatants. That they are the ones in which the restoration of the peace is the destruction of the human being that's in front of them. 
I heard someone say uh, that uh, we should empower police officers to be guardians of people's civil rights. Victims have civil rights. Perpetrators have civil rights. And as Christians, we stand out. We, we are part of a group as Christ followers that we know, and the church, that we know have, have problems. And so we work within our church to correct those problems. And we also can see that policing has institutional problems. And so as our witness in the world, and when we see things such as this horrific video, we cannot stay silent as Christ followers. We cannot be people who say, eh, it's complicated. We must be people who work for justice. We must be people who step into that breach of racism, power with impunity. and corruption. Let us pray. Dear God, we pray that we can be people of light in this world of darkness. And in the same way that we reform the church in our community, in our culture, in our nation, we stand outside of the, of the, the culture of policing in this country and we say, enough. Enough. We do not turn our gaze away because too many people are suffering too many people are jailed. Too many people are killed. We pray for this country that its love of violence and weapons and guns and destruction will be met with the refining fire of your spirit. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. So, uh, Again, good morning. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. I think uh, even maybe Marjorie and Ike Kinniger are there online. They said that they were going to be watching, and maybe Della too. And Matt, nice to see you. Uh, but everyone joining us online, and those of you here, and those, uh, as Tom said earlier, the women are at the women's retreat. And it's really, I love the differences between the men's and women's retreat. Um, because we heard from a lot of the women. They wanted to go somewhere where they didn't have to cook or worry about any of that, but their schedule was like, at 1.30, we're going to do this. It was very planned out. The men's retreat, we want to cook but have zero schedule. So <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just a curious thing. It's really fun. It's interesting. Um, so I have never done this before. I've never reflected on a portion of Scripture that Tom has preached on a mere seven days ago. So history is being made, okay? And I would like to start by correcting Tom's interpretation of... I'm just kidding. That would make for a memorable Sunday, though. That would make for a really, a really good one. But this series that Tom is in, Meeting God in Everyday Life, just, and when he preached about from last week, perfectly fit into what I wanted to speak about this morning. And to be honest, as... Uh, <laughs> Brandon set me up so nicely. I'm feeling actually pretty nervous and apprehensive about what I want to share because of all the times I've spoken about something, this is by far the least knowledgeable topic that I feel ready to come and share with you uh, on. But you know what? I'm sure we'll, we'll get through it and it'll be fine. <laughs> 
Because I want to share with you something this morning, because I need your help thinking and reflecting alongside of me. And it's a truly challenging idea that I'm going to be presenting and speaking to you about this morning. And together, as partners, I want us to reflect on what it means to be a Christian and a Christ follower in the age of artificial intelligence. Now, those of you of a certain age will recognize this as Hal. Hal was the computer in uh, 2001 and Odyssey, right? It was the movie, and it was one of the uh, movies that captured the imagination of a computer gone rogue. Computer gone rogue. Kids, that movie is really old. Anyway, it's very long. Awesome movie. Stanley Kubrick. Now, right there, I know some of you are thinking, no thanks, I'm out. <laughs> this is not a topic. This is like nerd stuff, science fiction stuff, and, and, I, and I'm not really into that. And I, and I get that. But I hear me out. We are entering into a technological age that is going to challenge our ethical, religious, and moral understandings of the very basic idea of what it means to be a human being. Now, of course, this is nothing new. Philosophers from time immemorial have worked hard to articulate what distinguishes human beings from the gods and the natural world. Plato, you know, said humans have appetites, spirit, and intellect. Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Nietzsche, awareness gives meaning. Psychological observations, the ability to see things from an analytical perspective. Humans control the narrative of our own existence. That's what makes us human. Kant believes that the way we interact with the world based on our perception of it is because we are human beings uniquely given reason. Thomas Aquinas, this is the one that I was really, really kind of captured me, is that said that we can't have full knowledge all at once. We must start by believing then afterwards we may be led on to master the evidence of ourselves. In other words, it is our intellect that transcends us from simply existing to actually doing with freedom and limitless imagination. That's what makes it human being. But the question is, for the authors of Genesis, what, in their words, makes us human? And it's a question, I'll take any answers. What, in their words, makes us human? I'm not as brave as Carl is, because I would say, come on, let's go. What makes us human within the frame of the authors of Genesis? Thank you, yes. We're in God's image. God's image, I love it, perfect. Steve. Well, God created it created us, uh-huh. and he said that it was good. Oh, that we are good because we are created from God. I like that. Other things? Any other, any other ideas? Yes. Laura. The breath. the breath. The breath of God. Oh, great. Thank you for looking at the title. That's awesome. <laughs> You're exactly right. For the authors of Genesis, the earth, the dust, the image, and the breath of God are all mixed together. And then God gives us dominion. Dominion and freedom to do without limit. Now, as creatures of God, we have been blessed with the gift of free will. Now, we certainly have physical limitations, and yet the Spirit of God in which we are created has 
allowed us to transcend these boundaries in ways that are truly astonishing. The idea that we get into a metal tube and fly five miles above the earth at 600 miles an hour, knowing that if we were to just go outside in that environment for just a second, it would be the end of our physical existence. But the Lord has given us limitless imagination to move in and be in a world beyond our physical limitations. Now, however, instead of being grateful and in all of the world that has been given to us to explore and harness, we often con we are consumed by our own arrogance. We attempt to make ourselves into gods, placing our faith in misguided plans to save ourselves through wealth and power and technology. Just like the wheel and the printing press, gunpowder and the steam engine before it, the internet has had a profound impact on each and every one of us. The rapid communication capabilities of computers has changed society over the past three decades, and it's hard to fully grasp the extent of this transformation. I can remember talking to my dad, and he would share the first time that they got a color TV. I was like, man, can you imagine watching TV in black and white your whole life? And now... Imagine explaining to Blythe or Audrey that the show isn't on right now. You have to wait until Thursday at 7 p.m., and then it will come on. It's for real. <laughs> or imagine my grandparents. My grandparents, well, not my grandfather who, recent, uh, who passed away. He was 96, but my my grandmother um, and my two grandparents on my dad's side had never sent a text message in their entire life. You all know somebody who lived their whole existence never holding a slender, you know, nice little iPhone, right? Or sent a text message or even had an email address. Did your grandparents have an email address? Yes, okay. Yes, some of you. There we go. Thank you, Abby. Keep me honest, some of you. The technology that enables us to see and hear each other live right now through that little camera in the back would, just 20 years ago, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. We would have to have a satellite dish up on the top of the, of the church and we'd send it out to space and and now we have access to HD cameras, all, every single one of us in our pockets that could stream live instantaneously the very happenings in this room without even thinking about it. We have rapidly embraced the first 30 years of the internet and often failed to really consider our potential implications of what the internet brings us before implementing it. Like, who would have thought that such a small button, such a small button, could cause so much emotional turmoil among teenagers and adolescents, including depression that is off the charts, anxiety and suicide, all because of a little heart button on a screen in a phone? or that it would pose a significant threat to relationships 
employment, and even democracy. The way that people have fired off unwise comments or texts in this world, shattering their lives. And we go on and go on and accept it as the new reality. We cannot push back against what has already been given to us. Looking back over the past decade, it's clear that the risks associated with mobile cloud-based social media networks have become increasingly apparent. And despite this knowledge, it's difficult to resist the constant pull of our platforms from TikTok to Pinterest to Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, and YouTube, as was mentioned in the communion meditation, every single day of our lives. So, we are now, just to orient us, in the MySpace era of artificial intelligence. Now, those of you who are around long enough, this was Tom. Tom was the founder of MySpace, and when you joined MySpace, everyone became friends with Tom. Some of you weren't even born when MySpace came out. 2003 is when MySpace came out, okay? This is before YouTube, before Facebook. And I can remember when Facebook was new, and I was like, why would I even use that? I'm not in college. I don't have a college email address. That's the point we are in right now with the thing that you've probably heard about in the news with artificial intelligence. And I know this feels more like a class and less like a sermon. And maybe that's, maybe that's true. But as a church and as Christians, we cannot repeat the mistake we made in the past of not really fully understanding the impact for good and for ill our previous technological moments have had. Now, I'm not talking about being afraid. Fear, when it comes to these kinds of things, is more akin to denial rather than something more productive such as understanding. What I hope to do is to begin the process of understanding how we as Christ followers can be people engaged with the world of technology, but not be overcome by it. So now, as I said earlier, philosophers have debated for thousands of years of what makes humans unique. And the fact that this question has been around so long, and that we have ancient artifacts that record the wrestling with that question, is a testament to the uniqueness we have as creatures on the earth. What makes us unique as humans opens us up for astonishing acts of creativity, generosity, kindness, courage, wisdom, and even love, but it also opens us up to being incredibly deceived and manipulated. In this swirl and mixture of being human, we are constantly reaching for ideas, relationships, and things that are true. Now, many things can present themselves as being true, but it doesn't mean that they are true. In an existential sense, truth and faith are more like reflections of each other rather than distinct ideas. Truth and faith. I believe it's true that God created everything we see, and I take that on faith. In the Christian worldview, our faith is pointed towards the truth of a creator God who stands independent of what has been created. Like, consider a video game designer, 
right? Who creates a captivating world for players and to experience. How many of you guys know what this screenshot is? You raise your hand. Okay, all right, good. Oh, I was hoping for, um, this is from The Legend of Zelda. This is what, it, what the, at the very beginning scene. The designer of this video game is separate from their creation and is not constrained by its boundaries. The designer doesn't need to be plugged in, doesn't need to have an HDMI cable into the back of a TV, and doesn't need to have a joystick to move throughout the world. Now, this analogy falls apart within the Christian frame because human video games creators cannot physically enter a video game like God entered the world through Jesus. But God stands separate and apart from the world that God has created, much like the video game creator is separate and a world apart from the amazing worlds that are created in these video games. Now, in the view of the ancient Israelites, we are made from the earth with the very breath or nephesh of God. This word nephesh is a Hebrew word used to describe the life force, the sentient nature of human beings and animals that God has created. That we are in the image of God while being from, while being different from and independent of God with, important, the free will to choose love of self or love of God is the central understanding of our place within the created world of Yahweh. In the New Testament, in the book of John, chapter 20, Jesus has risen from the dead and says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I checked my references, Tom Robinson, and just double-checking, and this breathed word was deliberately put in there by the writer of the Gospel of John to echo, to reflect the breathe that we see in Genesis chapter 2. God breathes life into the dust, to become human beings made in God's image, and Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit, the current indwelling of God, into his disciples. This is our religious understanding of our creation in the world. We believe in a God that created something out of nothing, ordered the chaos into a world and a universe, and by no means is this the only view that humans have, as I love what Brandon said earlier in his communion meditation. But it is our understanding given to us by scriptures, and I do believe confirmed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as we enter this age of intelligence, important distinction here, programmed by human beings and processed by computers, we are going to see parallel conceptions of artificial intelligence almost as if it were a deity itself. It sounds crazy to say, but I believe it's going to be true. Of course, in our time right now, we know that computer-generated intelligence is in fact not a deity. But remember, we can easily be fooled into behaving as though this kind of intelligence can be all-seeing, all-knowing, all-trustworthy. How many of you have a little device on your wrist that says, you haven't really moved around enough today? 
and you're like, oh man, I, I got to get 10,000 more steps. And you do the thing that your little watch says to do. It's not even speaking to you. It doesn't have doughy eyes. It doesn't tell you you're great. It says, mm, you're being lazy. And we get up and move and do it. Or how many of you at dinner can feel the ding in your pocket on your phone and not Pavlovian, like reach for it to look real quick? As we enter this age, oh wait, down. This tendency to trust the computer can have devastating consequences, which we have seen in everything from airplane crashes to Tesla car crashes. You know, one of the things that they really train pilots to do is to not trust the automatic pilot so much because the planes are so technologically advanced and the airplane companies make money by them being flown very efficiently so the computer does it. And so in many ways, they have to train the pilots not to get relaxed too much as the computer is at control, out of control. This is a racial justice issue too, by the way. I don't know if any of you saw in the news that at the end of the Drake concert at the Apollo this last week, as people were exiting the Apollo, there was a police officer with a camera on a tripod holding it, doing facial recognition for every single person that walked out. I don't think they were at the Billy Joel concert. This is what I'm talking about, and that is very important for us, that we understand these automated systems that live in the machine realm will advance to impact every single one of us in ways that will seek to dehumanize us as people. So how many of you have heard of uh, ChatGPT, or at least like read about it in the news or something like that, right? Who here has used it? Anybody used it? Ooh, that's it. Okay. ChatGPT is this natural language processing tool. It's an artificial intelligence tool that allows you to have like these human-like conversations and it's much more than a chatbot. It's free. You can use it right now and I encourage each and every one of you to go home and mess around with it. Throw the craziest questions, ideas, statements at it and you will see what it, how it speaks back to you. What's interesting is that those of you with teenagers or preteens, they've probably already heard about this because it is literally filling teachers with absolute panic. When Allison messed around with this, she's the principal of a high school, they got all their staff together, and all their staff, including the math department, because in this math these days, it's not just the answer, you have to write why. They would put it into ChatGBT in every single, in every single department, history, math, English, science, said if a student had come in with the, what was written on these papers, I would have totally given them an A and not thought one thing, single thing about this. 
remember, we are in the MySpace days of this technology or the black and white television days of this. It's early, but we must as a community of faith be clear-minded about our sense of what makes us human and what makes us a community held together by the Spirit of God. We are going to go from limiting screen time to limiting robot friend time, I promise you. And they'll have names. You know, one of the things that's really discouraging is if you talk to a canine behaviorist and they tell you that your animal dog does not love you in the way that you think it does. <laughs> that dogs are really just animals and they're just doing what they can to eat food, sleep, and, and water. And you're like, no, but I'm the dad to Callie. Callie and I have a really good understanding of each other. It's really not true. If dogs or cats or hamsters or gerbils or whatever can fool us into thinking that we have a human to almost human relationship, we are headed into a world in which we are going to be challenged even more. This new age will challenge us to seek wisdom and understanding, and it will provide us for easy escapes from the difficulty of human relationships. We will be trading struggle between our interactions with each other for comforting, affirming relationships in a simulated world. Now, our young people are already confronted with these decisions on how to use the technology. The temptation to have a computer write a thousand-word essay for you on the Civil War from the vantage point of emancipated slaves is incredibly strong. Using ninth-grade language, you can go and type that in, and it will give you a ninth-grade-level written report. They're dealing with it already. Your nieces, your nephews, your, you know, whoever it is in your line. They're engaged with that conversation. You too will be tempted to blurn the lines of ethics, morality, and even faith as these machines of mankind become more and more enmeshed in our daily lives. Remember how social media used to be all about sharing pictures of your cat with your aunt across the country? And how in a short period of time it became so much more than that? In 1966, an MIT computer professor named Joseph Weiselbaum wrote a very simple computer program named ELIZA. Now, ELIZA was designed to mimic an empathetic psychologist mirroring back keywords to users in the form of questions, encouraging them to go deeper with their emotions. Weiselbaum intended ELIZA as a very rudimentary experiment in artificial intelligence, 1966 but was shocked to find out that its users quickly took the program quite seriously. Even people who knew that it was a computer program and even the people who had helped write the program themselves began spending hours and hours and hours with Eliza, sharing their deepest desires and emotions. Just at the moment it was poised to explode, Weiselbaum abandoned the project. He cut off all funding and shut it down and spent the rest of his life fighting the very thing that the project was meant to advance. He said, It's all a lie. P 
People thought or choose to think that there was a genuinely caring presence, this is the key, on the other end of the conversation. And to Weiselbaum, this illusion, this falsehood, debased the whole enterprise. 1966. So what's our takeaway? Presence with people will be more and more important as time goes on. To deliberately seek out wisdom, relationship, community, communion with those who the Creator breathed life into will be key. One thing we have learned in this pandemic and in all sorts of ways, being in a room with people is not the same as being with them on a screen. The tool of the screen is great in its place, but it's no substitute for the very human interaction of touch, laughter, listening, and community. We, as human beings, are created in the image of God and possess the breath of God. This is the belief held by the ancient Israelites and affirmed by the writer of John in his teachings about Jesus. We are also gifted with the presence of the Spirit of God, which imbues us with qualities such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are gifts from God. And it's important to know that technology, and I love technology, I love it, but technology is the idol of our age. We stand in awe of its bits and bytes and screens, and we wonder at the seemingly all-knowingness of our algorithms, Apple Watches, and suggested YouTube videos. But as Christ followers, it is important to remember that humans are more than just data points. Humans are more than people walking out of a Drake concert as they scan, as their faces get scanned. We must resist the forces that try to reduce our lives, relationships, work, and purpose to mere numbers and statistics. So how can we be countercultural as a church in the midst of this technological age, which mimics human care, knowledge, and concern, but is ultimately as hollow as the golden calf that sat at the foot of Mount Sinai? It's mimicry. It's hollow. We must start by asking ourselves these questions before blindly accepting the rapidly advancing technology that will shape the future of our world. We must remain committed to a church community that centers itself, hear me out, around the physical table of the Lord Jesus. Where we come together to serve each other, to pray, to worship God, and to serve the poor and the forgotten. So don't you see how important it is for a church to be a place of belonging, a place of welcome? Social media, the age of social media that we've li been living in, has shown us to all be people who are alone together <laughs> on our screens with thousands of friends but as lonely and as unknown as we've ever been. In the next technological age, this feeling of isolation is going to be magnified or glossed over by software code. It's already happening 
There are comfort robots in nursing homes with people who have dementia that talk to them. It's a tool, but you see the temptation of someone being like, well, I can't go visit today. They've, and they're okay. They're just playing with the robot. It is only in the imperfection, this is so, this is so important, I really, it's only in the imperfection, the messiness of our relationships and interactions that we see the manifested glory of God. It is in our weakness together that we are made strong by the Spirit of God. And it is in our burdens laid at the feet of Jesus that we are healed. And we are the bearers of God's image, full of the very breath of God, and we have been from the beginning. When we begin to be in the world, it is a moral, ethical, and I would dare say religious decision to walk into an Amazon store to take something off the shelf that no other human being works in. When we eventually get these things that talk to us and make us feel good and we buy the robot for the kid because it's fun and it's kind of crazy and everybody else wants one, remember we are giving our attention over to machine designers. A world in which data is more valuable than actual money. As Christ followers, we are believers in the resurrection of the physical body of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that coming around the table to meet Jesus in our frailty, in our weakness, we are made strong. And as Christians, we can navigate the coming technological age with grace, mercy, faith, and truth. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the world we live in. Lord, I am so grateful to be born in this time. We are filled with miraculous technology. The ability to replace a heart valve. The ability to reach out to a family member who's struggling just at the tip of our fingers the ability to see the world through other people's perspectives is a true miracle. But give us the courage to not think that the miracle is the, is the thing of life, but rather the power you have given us as people who are filled with your spirit to create and be given this Eden of a, of a world to live in. We ask that you turn our eyes always towards you in grateful humility, but that we never replace the created thing with you, God, the creator. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you so much for your attention. I really appreciate it. If we can stand, we'll have our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you so much.
Amen.